We can preach at people and we can throw stones at people and we can Facebook people to death, but we're not dialoguing. We are polarized and we are separated and there's this side and our side or that side and we need to come together and have God conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. I watched that video and it seems like it was a million years ago that we were meeting together like we are this day. And yet it seems like yesterday and the gospel continued to move forward. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for being back this morning. Let's celebrate we get to do it again uh, together. Now, I know it's different. Uh, before COVID, we had about 400 people in here and 600 chairs. Now we have to split the audience in half. We had an 830 worship service over at the Wellness Center, and they packed out that gym over there. It was a great start. So many of those that you were used to worshiping with are now having to meet at 830 for a season until we can kind of come back to normal if that day ever comes. But until then, we'll continue to be faithful to move forward. You look good this morning, and it's not because you got a mask over your face, all right? Uh, just seeing a person. I've been in here for six months preaching to that back wall, and man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with you. A lot has changed, obviously. The auditorium setup's different. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to go through the campus, uh, you need to go see the new children's building. There's still more coming. They couldn't get everything designed and, and to us because of COVID, but uh, it's slowly coming on board, but you can go through that space. We have a new remodeled secure preschool space. It's fantastic. And also we remodeled the old children's rooms into large adult small group spaces. So a lot to see. You heard Sean talking about Wednesday night. We're going to be in here Wednesday night and we're going to change that look. And from 6.30 to 7.30, we'll be doing worship at the meal right before. And then he talked about a festival outside. So here's what we need from you. We need your trunks. We need you, you say, my trunks, what are you talking about? Well, here's some pictures. Let's look up here. Uh, this is somebody who took a minivan. Any minivanners out there this morning? All right. Uh, so we're not always confessing that. Uh, you look at that, all they had to do was go to Hobby Lobby or Party Bazaar, buy some decorations, and just turn that trunk into a station, if you will, for kids to come by, play a quick game, and we need many, many trunks. Here's another trunk. Pretty simple. They just took a bunch of balloons, made it look like water, uh, and a little Nemo theme. Here's a third example. There's a lot more you can look at. Somebody just took their truck, threw in some bales of hay, little harvest theme, and made a simple station that kids are able to come by, play a quick game, gain some candy. Now, here's the deal. Our children probably have suffered even more than we have. They have been isolated. Uh, it's the Putnam City area, they have not been able to go back to school. They haven't been able to see their friends. That's been going on for a long, long, long time. We have an opportunity as the church in this area, in our neighborhood, to minister to our young families and to children. And that's going to take all of us coming together. That means providing a trunk, being a part and say, well, I don't know that that will be safe. Outdoors is much safer. We're going to have so many trunks that it will be safely distanced. You heard how we're even going to distribute candy if we have to. Uh, if we have to shoot them with slingshots, man, we'll get the candy to them, but we're going to do it well and provide a special ministry to children. Can you imagine a thousand people on this campus, uh, kids being able to finally get out and not be ripped off another day? You get to be a part of that ministry. Well, we're starting a new sermon series as we come back. 
And this new sermon series is designed to challenge us in how to have God conversations. So let me ask you to do something in your head for just a minute. Uh, I want you to think about if you had the opportunity to sit down with one person, it could be anybody, they have to be alive today, can't go too far back in history, somebody alive today who you would love to spend dinner with and just have a conversation, picking their brain, uh, somebody you would love to spend time with, who would that one person be? Well, when I reached a certain milestone in my age, I'm not going to tell you which birthday it was, but I created a bucket list of 50 things that I wanted to do in my next few years here on earth. In that bucket list, back when I did this, um, a person in history that was very significant in that time was George W. Bush. Now, regardless of your politics, I admired the way that our president handled 9-11, how he stepped into that moment and tried to lead our nation through something we had never, ever experienced before. I loved his story of struggling with alcoholism, much like I had, and how he gained victory through that. The legacy of his family and those different things. He was just an intriguing personality, and that was on my bucket list. Another individual that made my bucket list was Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, or Neha, or Huha, or whatever you want to say, as an oaky redneck. And I've always been fascinated with his bold leadership. I'm certainly fascinated with our history that traces all the way back into that country which he leads. I'd love to sit down with him and talk about my Jesus who lived in his country and who's made a difference in all of history and engage in that dialogue and that conversation. A third person that appeared on that bucket list for me was a guy by the name of E.F. Cruz, K-R-U-S-E. Now that may not be on your bucket list, but it should be. You may not know E.F.'s story. This isn't E.F. Hutton, it's E.F. Cruz. In 1919, a 23-year-old school teacher he was, was hired out of the classroom, and he was so good with economics and business sense that this company that was going bankrupt hired him to take over their company. He was only 23 years old, but he took a bankrupt company, and just uh, 11 years later, turned it into a prosperous company. I'd love to go back, and that was during a very difficult season and a difficult time in our nation's history. And by 1930, in the 30s, when there was Great Depression, he was rebuilding this life-changing company. You may have heard of it. He renamed the company to Bluebell Creamery. Oh, yeah. This guy, one of my heroes... This guy has been instrumental in me being twice the man I used to be, all right? I love E.F. Cruz and how the Lord used him. That'd be a sweet conversation, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that just be a sweet conversation? Sit down over a bowl, a couple bowls of Bluebell and just dialogue about life, that'd be awesome. Well, the purpose of this series is to challenge us to go back and look at what God conversations look like. You see, I believe that... We, were mu- we are much like the religious people were of Jesus' day. We are having conversations, but I'm not so sure they're Jesus' conversations. Then when we go back and we look at how Jesus spoke into people's lives, it looks radically different than how we speak into people's lives. If ever before there was a need for this sermon series, I think it's the day and age in which we live. I've noticed that we can't seem to have dialogue we have monologues, we can preach at people, and we can throw stones at people, and we can face pe- Facebook people to death, but we're not dialoguing. 
We are polarized and we are separated and there's this side and our side or that side and we need to come together and have God conversations. That's why I wanted to do this series. I did it four years ago when there was another election cycle and have you noticed that our politics have divided us even more? 2016, I talked about what would Jesus say to Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, I've talked about what would Jesus say to Howard Stern and Rosie O'Donnell. Kevin Durant, do you remember that one? That was a tough conversation for us in Oklahoma for a while. And these conversations have been very toxic for many of us instead of being God conversations. And so I want to challenge us to go back and to look and listen to how Jesus communicated with other people. I think about it, I think that I need to learn and we need to learn how to engage people like the woman who was at the well. Nobody else wanted to engage with her. She was there at noon. She was there by herself. Even the disciples went running off and yet Jesus stayed behind to have a conversation with a hurting woman. We find Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus late at night. He could have easily said, listen man, I need some sleep. I don't have time for you. He made time for Nicodemus. We look at him having conversations with tax collectors and sinners and the difficult people of the culture of that day when all of the religious people wanted nothing to do with those people. Maybe we can learn some things about how to engage people properly. It's not that we don't know how to engage. It's not that we aren't engaging. We all want to engage and have those conversations. Look at the Facebook world. People are pounding and people are, 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 are slamming and people are hollering, all caps, trying to make a point. You know how many lives you've changed on Facebook? Zero. Actually, that's not true. You may have caused some severe, some severe challenges in people's lives because of not having God conversations. I know that I'm like you. There are times that I, have you ever said this, man, I'd like to give so-and-so a piece of my mind? As recently as last night, I would love to have a conversation with the defensive coordinator of Oklahoma University at this point. I won't have that conversation because it won't be a God conversation, right? Yeah, appreciate the sympathy from the cowboys in the room. Have you ever said, have you ever said, you know what? I just despise that person. There are some people on this planet that maybe deserve that response, but Jesus never gave that. That wasn't the response Jesus had for anybody on this planet. Quite frankly, he got pretty close, but you know who those conversations were with? Religious people who claimed to be serving God but were stumbling blocks in this world. It wasn't the tax collectors. It wasn't the Difficult people who were lost and didn't know God. It was the people who claimed to know God, but were not representing his name. It's been amazing to me how many people are hoping this virus takes our president down. Even, even people who should know better. And, and we can't throw stones and make it because it's one political party, because I watched it happen under the previous president with President Obama. We need to learn how to dialogue. We need to learn how to be able to communicate with other people, people who are different, 
People who maybe don't carry your same values or your same convictions, but be able to have those God conversations. We need a fresh perspective. We need a convicting perspective. We need a Jesus perspective. So a new series. Not what would Jesus do, WWJD, but WWJS. What would Jesus say? Now before we look at what Jesus would say to Donald Trump or to Joe Biden, it's funny, when I did this four years ago, and I did it with Hillary and with Donald and with Kevin Durant and some others, some people actually walked away disappointed. Man, I came and I just was waiting for you to just totally, just totally set them right. The truth always sets us right. But the truth coming from Jesus' mouth usually sounds different than it comes from our mouths. And we'll see that as we dig in to Scripture. So before we look at what Jesus would say to Donald or to Joe or to LeBron, what would Jesus say to us? Let's start there. Because that's where Jesus always starts. He always starts with his children. He always starts with you and with me. Has God ever spoken to his church before? All the time, every day. Throughout all the New Testament, as you look to the book of Acts, you see him birthing the church and speaking into the church. All through the Gospels and through all the epistles, we find the Holy Spirit inspiring the human authors to speak his word to his church. And certainly, we think about the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning there, Revelation chapter 2. Seven churches of Asia Minor, I'll put them up on the screen. You can see all seven of the churches uh, that we'll look through at first and we'll look at some other things. We're going to spend several weeks letting Jesus speak to us before we take a couple weeks to look at people because it needs to start with our hearts first. And when we look at these seven churches, these seven churches were the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Before I became the pastor here at PCBC a few years back, I had the privilege of going on a pilgrimage through Turkey and looking at where these seven churches existed. It was one of the most humbling and impacting mission trips I'd ever been on. Not only did we go to look at these sites, but we went sharing the gospel in what is now a Muslim nation. These seven churches, you can see where they're geographically located in this part of Turkey. You can see where they related uh, geographically to each other, and you can see this horseshoe. You can see that it's a circumference of the whole part of this region of Turkey. What was once a vibrant place of biblical faith, today now they say 2% of the population are Christian. 2%. These churches that were large and impacting, these churches that had done great things for God, no longer exist today. And Jesus spoke to them. And my desire is that history would not repeat itself, that we would become an insignificant, non-existent faith here in America, but that we could learn from history. As Jesus spoke in that day, Jesus is speaking in our day. As he spoke to his church then, he's still speaking to his church today, and so we can learn these same lessons. Each of these cities, I don't have time to go into their significance, but each of them were very significant in their own way. Uh, the seedbed of culture, the seedbed of uh, politics, the seedbed of education, 
One of the particular cities had a, a library that was a rival to that of Alexandrian, of the Alexandrian Library. They had uh, great commerce. They had great privilege, great opportunities. And in some moments, they seized the day. And now we look into that part of the world this day, and they no longer have a testimony. What can we learn from these churches? Let's look at the first church, the church at Ephesus. I literally stood in the ruins. They still are excavating Ephesus to this very day. Great Colosseums that you could see were once their football stadiums. Uh, their commerce, you could see they were a very wealthy city. They were full of affluence and influence. But today it's a city of ruins. What was once the biggest place in that part of the world is now nothing but rubble. A church that declared who Jesus was no longer exists. What can we learn? Take a look at it, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, speaking of these churches. God says this, I know your deeds and your toil. I want you to understand something. The same God who wrote this is still the same God today. The same God who saw what was going on in the church at Ephesus is the same God who sees what's going on at PCBC and all of the churches here in Oklahoma City and around the world. And I want you to understand a church is not a building. We've learned that through this COVID time. A church is not brick and mortar. A church is the bride of Christ. It's you and me who know him. We are the church, his church, the bride of Christ. And he knows everything about you. And he knows everything you're struggling with and everything you're doing well. In this case, he starts off, he says, I know your deeds and your toil, your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. Now, this doesn't mean that they were a spiritually aloof people. It wasn't that they were a holy huddle and said, oh, we're holy, and all these people in Ephesus are not. He wasn't talking about those who didn't know the Lord. He was talking about evil men who were putting on a plastic facade of acting like they were Christians and apostles in this case, but they were false teachers. It was that spirit of evil. But God kept expecting them to reach out to those who didn't know the Lord and those who were struggling with sins of the flesh, those who were embracing evil, but he was talking about a unique piece of evil, those who claimed to be apostles but were actually false teachers. You see it at the end of verse 2. Look at verse 3. He said, but you have this, you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Four things, very quickly, that he commends them on. Now, our Heavenly Father models for us great parenting. He will always, always have the best for you, his child. And as he parents us, our Heavenly Father he does some good parenting. He begins by commending. We should be speaking more positive things into our children than we're just scolding them for where they fall short. we got to be sure that we are speaking love and grace and acknowledging the good things that are happening in their life. And God does that with the church, four things. He says, I want to commend you for your toil. They were doing the work of the ministry. They were planting seeds of the gospel. They were watering those seeds they were seeking to serve God, and he said, I want to I commend you for being a part of my kingdom. Number two, he commended them on their perseverance for not growing weary and doing good. Matter of fact, in Galatians, it says we plant seeds, we water seeds, 
And in due time, that means a long time, there's a harvest. If we don't plant, we don't water, we won't see the harvest. If we plant and we water, but we don't persevere, we don't wait on that, we don't monitor that, we don't build into that, we won't get a harvest. And at the end of that passage, verse 9, it says, and I challenge you, don't grow weary in doing good. I know that there is a lot of fatigue. There's screen fatigue, there's Zoom fatigue, there's social media fatigue, there's COVID fatigue, there's political fatigue, there's all kinds of fatigue. I know you're worn out. I'm with you. I get it. But praise God, we don't have to succumb to it. That we can do all things, including COVID, through Christ who strengthens us. Can I get an amen from people who've been sheltering at home? Third thing, he commended them for their testimony. He said, you've been faithful to not let evil into the church. You have monitored and you've been careful not to embrace human teaching, but you've been true to my word. You've not been politically correct nor culturally comfortable. Well done. And then he commended them on their discernment, being able to discern what is true and what's of the flesh, what's of God and what is not. Four things he commended them, but they were not a perfect church. Just in case you thought you were coming to a new church hoping to find a perfect one, uh, not going to happen. I hope that we will be the church you need at this stage in your journey, in your life, but we won't be a perfect church. There are things that are commendable. There are things, and I would commend you as your pastor, that you've been so faithful in during these days. But I also know that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to me and still speaking to we, the people of God. We are not perfect, but we are being perfected by a holy God who has a perfect plan. And so he goes on to speak in their lives. Look at verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. Man, as I was putting this message together, I had to stop right there and said, well, if, if they had their challenges, I've got mine. If I'm going to preach this message, I just can't preach words. I've got to let God speak to me. And man, he started showing me, Bill, here's where you're falling short of my glory. This morning, would you let Jesus say what he needs to say to you? What might be on that list today? What might he say to you of where you're falling short of his glory? Notice what he says. He says, I have this against you. You left your first love. I hope maybe you're sitting next to your first love. I hope you're sitting next to somebody you love. Man, I've been the first. I'm praying it's your last love. I know there's some first love going on in the room. I got to meet a few of those this morning. That was awesome. I got to marry my high school love. Now, I can't say it was my first love, although I consider it my first love because I would have to say my first love supposedly was second grade. How's that possible? But I remember second grade, first time, I was that cool guy in school. And I noticed that there were girls on the planet. Before then, I'd never seen them. In second grade, they appeared all of a sudden before my very eye. And there's this little girl. I had to convince her I was God's will for her, even though I wasn't a Christian. Back then, for some in this room, you won't get it. A lot will. We used to actually write notes to each other. We didn't have screens. But our way of hiding, instead of hiding behind a screen, we hid behind an anonymous note that we would slip to our first love. We didn't know what love was. Second love, third grade, fourth love, fifth, third, fourth, went on and on and on. But 
my high school love. And I remember when Cammie and I first started dating, I remember just the, the beauty of that first love. I remember trying real, real hard. I remember investing a lot of energy and a lot of creativity. I remember all the things, and it's fun, we talk about it with our kids and talk about how we courted, if you will, if you can still use that word, or how we tried to uh, start going steady. Those were the terms in those days. That's how far back I go. And we've spent the majority of our life together. We dated six and a half years. We've been married for 34 years now, so 40 years of my life with that love. Now, I'll be very transparent and very honest, and so can many who've done relationships for a long time. It's easy to grow comfortable in that love. It's easy to know you love that person and genuinely love and actually love them more today than you did yesterday, but not have that freshness of the first love. That translates into our love relationship with God, too. We do the same thing in that relationship. I fell in love with Jesus in 1981. Some of you may not even have been born in 1981. And I remember that love relationship. I remember that moment. I remember God getting my attention. And I remember when I had my first date with Jesus. It was awesome, powerful, pure, fresh, unexplainable. Now I can look back and say there have actually been times where I've allowed that relationship to get stale. I've allowed that relationship. I, I love God more today than I ever have. And yet I know that I'm very tempted to leave that first love, to, to not do. So, so watch where he goes with this. Just like a personal relationship with another person, we can do the same with God. He says, therefore remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you. And I'll remove your lampstand, your privilege, your responsibility, your opportunity. It's going to be gone if you don't return to your first love. I believe Jesus is saying that to his church today. If all we do is play church, the lampstand will be removed. If all we do is care about joining up together in brick and mortar one day a week, but we're not the church every day of the week, he will remove the lampstand. God would speak that same thing to us today. And so there are some things he says. Number one, look at this, write it down. He says you must remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Think back. Think back to that moment when you first trusted Christ. And if you don't have that moment, I pray today is that moment. That today would be the day of your salvation. But take some time and you go back. Is there, can you go back to a time in your history where you've trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And then ask yourself, am I as devoted, engaged in my love for Jesus today as I was when I first dated Jesus? In premarital counseling and postmarital counseling, I tell every couple, don't stop dating just because you say I do. In my experience, in my own life, but also dealing with many couples over time, is that we spend so much energy trying to land our uh, life spouse that once we say I do, we're done. Because, I mean, they know I love them. I've shown them I love them. We love each other. We said I do forever, and we start coasting. Don't stop 
dating. And I would say the same thing about your relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, repent, and then he says, repeat. Go back and do what you did at first. Go back into the purity of that relationship and that devotion that you had and all that you wore at first. Return and repeat those things. There's a need, I'm sure, in marriages for us to return to our first love. And I would say in your marriage relationship with God, you're his bride and he is the bridegroom. And we need to make a commitment to date Jesus again. Very quickly, let's go to the second church. Drop down to verse 8. And now we look at another group of believers. By the way, a lot of Bible scholars believe these seven churches represent church history. That these would be struggles that would happen every during different periods of the church history. Whether that is true or not, we know it was specifically true to these churches. And what was true for these churches will always be true for his church. Verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. Smyrna was known as the suffering church. He says, the first and the last who was dead has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not bar a synagogue of Satan. We look in on this church, Smyrna, and we see that they were under great persecution in their city. Something that we're very unfamiliar with, but I think and believe that we will become familiar with in the days to come. I'm a, I'm a very positive guy, I'm a very optimistic guy, but I'm also a very realistic guy. I've looked at history, and I've looked at our history as a church, as a city, as a, st as a state, and a country. And you can look today, and more than ever before, there is a coming new persecution to the church in America. Now, just because somebody has unfriended you on Facebook, that is not persecution, my friend. That's just people being stupid. Persecution is in almost every country of this world. And we have been so comfortable and we have been so blessed in our assurance that we don't know the deepening of a work of God in our lives because of real persecution. But you look at the conversations in the hallways of our Congress, the conversations or lack of in our streets of every major city of this nation. You look at the conversations coming from every media outlet in our nation, and you know it's coming. Christianity has a bullseye on its back. I'm not here to be morbid. I'm not here to be a downer on the first Sunday back, but I am here to warn you. These churches didn't want to hear it, but these churches were experiencing great persecution. And he says, I understand. I know what you're going through. And so he speaks into that. And listen to what he says, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Two things he speaks to Smyrna. And notice, this is one of two churches that he doesn't bring to them a rebuke, but commendation. He says to them, number one, be fearless without fear. I would say to you, as things begin to change in this country of ours, 
as things get darker, as things get uglier, as your faith starts to be placed under a microscope and attacked because of what you stand for, be fearless. They can't touch you. Oh, they can hurt you. They can mark you up. They can beat you up and beat you down. But they can't touch you. Be fearless. Number two, he says, look at the last part of verse 10, and be faithful unto death. Be faithful. Wake up each day, and it doesn't matter what you're hearing in the news. It doesn't matter what they're propagating to you. Don't embrace the culture. Embrace the Lord. Be faithful to the end. One last church. Quickly, I'm going to try to slip it in as fast as I can. It's the church at Pergamos. Go to verse 12. This church needed some rebuking. And this church is like a number of churches. I pray it isn't like PCBC. I pray we don't become this church, but it is becoming prevalent in many churches in America today. Look at it, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this. The one who has the sharp two-edged sword. What is that two-edged sword? The word of God. What guides us and what directs us? Not a pulpit, not a preacher. The word of God does. A denomination doesn't do it. A president can't do it. A Congress can't mandate it. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, that you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed, where Satan dwells. You say, wow, that's some strong language. Pergamos was nicknamed Satan's city. It was nicknamed Satan's city for a number of reasons. Number one, some believe because of the, the amazingly beautiful, glamorous altar that was built to Zeus known as Satan's throne. They celebrated that they worshipped everything but God and they put Zeus's name on it. Their city became that first city where whatever happened in their city could happen in that city and it stayed in that city. And they were known around that region as being the most progressive, most enlightened, most pleasurable city on the planet. You ever heard of a city like that in our day? Enid, Oklahoma? No, not Enid, Oklahoma. Not even Oklahoma City. Las Vegas might come to mind. And I would say Las Vegas probably pales in comparison to this city. And yet in this city was a body of believers who had been saved and were living in that cultural challenge. And they were faithful. He says, you've held fast to my name. You have not denied my faith. Well done. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. And this may be the challenge for the church moving forward in America today. As our culture gets darker, as our culture gets more bizarre and more wild and more wicked, we will live in that culture. Let's make sure history doesn't repeat itself. Look what happened in their day. But I have a few things against you. Because you have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Drop down to verse 16. Therefore, repent, or I'm coming to you quickly. So we look in on this church. We find that while they were trying to be faithful, and many were being faithful, where did they drop the ball? 
they allowed some among them. They allowed some to take on the environment around them. They allowed some to convince that, hey, we need to be culturally relevant. I believe we should be relevant to this culture as well, but in a different way. Not by becoming like the world, but by being relevant by living truth before the world. That we are so full of who he is, instead of full of our own baloney, Instead of full of our flesh, but we're so full of the Holy Spirit that we ooze Him in the conversations that we have and the way we love our world, even when they aren't lovable. They instead took on a cultural Christianity, which, by the way, is an oxymoron. It does not exist. You cannot be for God and embrace the world. You cannot culturally compromise and say, well, well, man, if we don't, then people are going to think we're bigots or we're hateful or we're this or we're that. And I'm not saying that any of that should exist. What I am saying is love like Jesus. What I am saying is let Jesus love through you. What I am saying is let Jesus speak through you. And how did Jesus engage? With grace, love, and mercy. But he never compromised his holiness, ever. But the woman at the well who was struggling, trying to find her identity in love relationships on earth instead of a love relationship with God, he loved her when nobody else wanted to. When she had a reputation as being the loosest woman in that city, when all other men stayed away, when all the city and the ladies stayed away, Jesus related. Jesus engaged. And Jesus loved her enough to offer her truth that there was living water that she could have. And when she experienced that truth, he loved her enough also to lovingly say, now go and sin no more. He didn't say to her, hey, I get it. This is just who you are. This is just your struggle. Know that I'm praying for you. He didn't enable her. He equipped her by being holy, by being loving, by speaking truth. And how do we do that? Let me just take you real quickly. What do we learn from this church? Number one, we must maintain a distinct identity. Number two, we must speak and walk the truth in love. Ephesians 4 says, but speak the truth in love and grow up in all these things. I think we've been so concerned about trying to speak truth, we've not done it in love. And we've done it in harsh ways, not Jesus' ways. I love the Geico commercial. Abraham Lincoln dealing with all the challenges of a nation divided, sitting there at his desk, maybe, maybe pinning that famous speech, and in walks his wife with a new dress. Honey, does this make me look large? <laughs> Learn from Honest Abe. If you've seen the commercial, he doesn't say, honestly, honey, every dress makes you large. He says nothing. And when we speak, let's make sure we don't say nothing. Let's make sure when we speak, we speak the truth. What's it packaged in? Love. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. That's only a start. We're going to spend several weeks of God speaking to his church we're going to look at those things he spoke into the New Testament church in the early days, what he's still speaking into his church for you and I today. 
And then we'll get to Donald and we'll get to Joe and we'll get to LeBron. But let him speak to us first. And maybe today as you've come, I know that, that the majority, if not all, probably have a first love. You, you, there's been a time in your life where you said, I do to Jesus. But I don't want to assume that. If there's anybody here who's never had a relationship with God, oh, you know there's a God, you've prayed to God, but you don't have a love relationship. You've never said, I do to Jesus. God, I need you to save me. I need you to be my Savior. I ask you to forgive me. If that's never happened for you today, that needs to happen. God woke you up and brought you in today, not just so you could be a part of our first day back inside, but because he wants to live inside of you. Our ministers will be here at the front. When we stand, you ought to be the first to come to one of them and say, man, I need Jesus in my heart. I need him. I need him. I need him. And then maybe there are many of us, perhaps all of us, as I've wrestled with this this week, as I've had to fall on my knees, as I've had to repent, maybe we need to remember what we've left behind, that first love. Maybe we need to go back to dating Jesus, and that's where you need to fall on your knees and saying, God, I return. I want to date you every single day, Lord. I want my first love to be my always love. God, forgive me. Return. Maybe during this time you've been looking for a church home or you have allowed us to be your church home during COVID and now you'd like to be a member of this church we'd love to receive you as a new member we have counselors ready to meet with you to fill out the paperwork and to press on and you would bless our day if that's God's will for you whatever that is let me pray for you Father may you be honored in these moments for those who are worshiping online God may that be as relevant and real as they repent where they are but in this very place God May we allow you to be the Lord of our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.